0: Okay, this morning we're continuing through the book of James. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 4 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12. Listen to what it says in James. It says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. And then verse 12 says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? There is this lady who had a shopping addiction, and she loved to buy clothes for herself. So her husband, in an attempt to help in the situation, made her promise not to buy anything for a month. So one day, about a week into the deal, she was just dying and craving shopping. So off she went. It was just so tempting for her. So as she thought and she reasoned, she thought to herself, well, there's nothing wrong with doing a little window shopping. So off she went. She passed this one shop and just loved the dress in the window. So she reasoned once again that there was no harm in trying it on. So she decided it might even look good on. So as you can see, the temptation was, the temptation was winning in this lady's life. So she goes into the dressing room and she loves the dress. And it looks amazing on her, she thinks. And then she realizes that she's really being overcome with temptation. So she makes this statement, get thee behind me, Satan. And the next thing you hear was, it looks pretty good from back here too. So she buys the dress. She gives into the temptation. You know, it's easy sometimes that that we let our desires, we let those temptations get the best of us. But really, what we need as followers of Christ this morning is to have our, our hearts and our lives revived. James, in this passage, calls each of us to have hearts and souls that are revived. And when we think of this idea of revival, it means to live again. And it's that idea that faith that was once alive and vibrant has become lifeless and dull. So as the emphasis in this passage, as we look at this morning, it gives us a a formula, a challenge to overcome temptation. And and James is going to give us that here this morning. So there's five thoughts here that, that, that give us a help as we seek to be overcomers of temptation and the first one is is found in verse 7 the first part of verse 7 where it says submit yourselves therefore to God so so the challenge for us as we seek to overcome temptation is is first of all that we submit to God the word submission gives the idea that we come under the authority of God, that we come under his care, that we come under his power, and that we come under his strength. And that's that idea of yielding to God, uh, to, to his instructions, to what his desire is for our lives to be. So as we submit to God, it's, it's yielding to God's authority. It's letting Jesus Christ be the Lord Of my life. This idea of submission is is really important to to have this principle in our life that we focus our mind on Him. We focus our mind Godward. And, And as we seek to do that, the temptation becomes less and less. The devil flees, the temptation goes when we seek to yield and submit to God. Now, uh, some in your notes here, it says this, submission is yielding to God's authority, yielding to his will for my life. It's committing to him being in control and me being willing to follow him and trust him with the outcome. It's, it's putting myself under the authority of the almighty God. So we overcome temptation, first of all, by by submitting to God. And then the the verse continues on, and it tells us that we're to resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So that's that second principle here for us, that we resist the devil. Of course, when we're genuinely surrendered, the the resisting does become easier. Uh, we, We have the ability to resist when we draw close, when we pull in close to the Lord Jesus. And, you know, as followers of Christ here this morning, we are to know and realize that we're in his army, that that we're soldiers, that we are soldiers following the command that he gives us. For you see, the enemy is great at attacking and, and he wants us to stumble. He doesn't want us to submit. He doesn't want us to, to resist him. He wants us to pull in clothes. He wants us to try on the dress, to, to, to fall in love with the dress and, 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 and get close to it. And, and see, that's not resisting the devil. So as we seek to persevere, as we seek to resist and submit, a wonderful thing happens. As time passes, the temptation flees further and further. Again, it doesn't go all the way typically. The devil's always going to keep throwing uh those temptations at us, but we can learn to overcome as we resist the devil. Now, there's some thoughts here to go along with this of how we can resist. And, and simply stated, we resist by asking God and praying for Him to deliver us. In fact, that's right in uh of the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 6, we, we see that thought that we, we ask God, we, we pray, God, deliver me from this temptation. I think another thought that goes along with this as we seek to be resistors is that, that we quote scripture, that we, we let the scripture speak to us. And we, we, we learn God's word. We let it just saturate our minds. We let it saturate our hearts. And, we, and the, another thing that can go along with this is that idea of fasting, it is giving up things so we can fall closer and closer in love with the Lord Jesus. And and that's a, a great thought for us. And what's great about the scriptures is Jesus used the scriptures. And in Matthew chapter four, we we learn that because he was being tempted in the wilderness. He had he had fasted. For, for 40 days and, and, and Satan is seeking to, to win here and he tempts him and, and notice in Matthew 4, verses three and four, what it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He, he gives him the scriptures, same passage, verses six and seven, if you're the son of God, He says, throw yourself down for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you may not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus says this, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, scriptures, combat the devil with scripture. And then he says this in verses nine and 10, and all this I'll give you, He said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Again, the scriptures give us hope. They give us comfort. They they give us a formula to overcome temptation as we seek to resist the devil. There's a third thought that goes along with this. And then we've already touched on this earlier, but it has the idea of just... Having special sessions of prayer. And by that, I mean, have a, have a, a person who you can pray with, who you can, uh, do life with. You know, if you're married, that person can be your spouse. Someone who you, you, you just can, can bear burdens with and, and have that because we, we need that. We, have, we so, so have a, have a person that holds you accountable in this idea of prayer. And then we're forgivers. You know, we resist when we learn to forgive. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. Did you get that phrase? Satan, that he might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He's good. He knows, but by by having a hardness in our heart, by holding on to, to things that we shouldn't be holding on to, by not forgiving, you know, he, he can win, he can get a foothold. And we, we, we lose our power to resist when we are unforgiving. And then another thought here, stay with me. These are, are important. Don't give place to the devil. And I know that because Ephesians just comes out and says, don't give the devil a foothold. You know, it's sad how easily we can do this, you know, as we think of this idea of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and jealousy that get in there. They really just give the devil a hold in our lives and it keeps us from having that pure relationship with Jesus so we can forgive, so we can overcome these temptations. There's another thought here, put on God's armor. Put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6 tells us to man up and wear the armor. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and his power. And then we learn to be people who repent and surrender to truth. In 2 Timothy, we read this, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And, you know, it's easy sometimes to just skip over this idea of repenting when, when we when we mess up that we just don't take care of things with with the Lord and with other people. But the repentance is so, so important. And then one last thought, and this is this is really where it all begins, is that you're just born again that you have a, a personal relationship with Jesus, that you're saved, that, that, that you have, have, have accepted what 1 John 5, 18 says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. So again, this idea of, of being born again, I'm thankful for, for as, a, as a teenager, I saw the need of, uh, of Jesus being in my life and it was then as, as a teenage boy at the age of 16 that I surrendered and gave my life to Christ. And, and, and I'm thankful for a church that had a, a strong student ministry. And, and you know, you, we, we need to be thankful for our church. For, we have a, a strong student ministry. And it's a place where, where, where teenagers can come and, and learn to overcome temptation, learn to resist the devil. But, boy, being born again is so, so important. Overcoming temptation. You know, it, it starts when we submit to God. Again, James just puts it right on the bottom shelf here. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And then he tells us this, that we're to wash our hands. And I know that because it's right in the passage here. It says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 8. And simply what James is stating here for us is that, that, that we're to live lives that are pure. You know, Jesus on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew there, it's in verse five, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't know about you, but I want to have a pure heart, a clean heart, because when you have that, you can have that vertical relationship with Jesus and you can stay close to him. And, and, you know, the more we're like God, the nearer we're going to be to God. You know, a lot of us, when we were young, hopefully and possibly wanted to be like our dad. And by spending time with your dad, you got to be like your dad. Some things you probably picked up that maybe you shouldn't have picked up. But uh, the, the same is true. With the Lord Jesus, the more we spend time with him, the more we spend time in his word, the more we spend time in prayer and follow close to him, then we'll draw near to him. We'll, we'll have a pure heart. And, and God graciously draws near to us when we, when we wash our hands, when we, we seek to have a pure heart, when we, when we want him up close, so we don't hold him at a distance, and again, that idea of repentance is so important that we wash our hands daily, that we, we cleanse our hearts. You know, confessing things like, like greed, like jealousy, like impure thoughts, like hatred, like, like rage, like envy. You know, more than anything, we need to guard our hearts against these things and release them into God's hands as we wash our hands. I love this thought about David that we we pick up, and it's just kind of thrown right in there in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13. It says this, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Wow. He, what, a, what a testimony of a life. He'll do everything I want him to do. And of course, this Encourages us it's because David didn't live a perfect life. You know he definitely uh, has some blemishes on on his life as we read through the scriptures. But but he didn't give up. He fessed up. He he chose to repent and call upon the Lord. He he wanted hands that were clean, and, and he repented of his sins. We'll get into that in our next point here and, and look at what he actually how, how he came clean in in, in uh, Psalm fifty one. But that's getting ahead here. So so again. Wash your hands. And, and he goes pretty strong here. And he, he, he calls these these followers, he, he, he calls them sinners. And up until this point, he's calling them brothers. But here he pounds them pretty hard and says, you sinners. So again, be clean, have clean hearts, have clean hands. And then we grieve. And what we're getting at here in verse nine is that, that there's a brokenness. And, and it says this, Grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And what James is is seeking to tell us here is that 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 mourning, that 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 wailing is is a brokenness over sin. And I think we've kind of become a a society at times that we just don't even blush anymore. We just kind of pull in close to to sin and, and, and don't keep it away from our lives. And, and, and there's a brokenness that the Lord wants in our hearts that we're, we're sorrow for our sin. And again, this Psalm 51 passage, that, that, that look at how David's heart was, was, was in, the, in this passage. Again, about a year had passed. He had, he had committed adultery. He had, he, had, he had committed murder. And, and there was a, a, a period of his life that he'd just become hardened to the Lord. And, and he's confronted And he comes clean with the Lord. And this is what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And then he says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. So he, he, he calls it sin, he calls it iniquity, he calls it transgression. I mean, he really goes rooted deep into his sin issues. And then he says, this, my sin's always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are writing your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And, and I read this portion of Psalm, seven, Psalm 51 because it, it just shows us his heartfelt brokenness and his sorrow for his sin, that he, that he messed up and he hurt God. And he tells him, my God, I've, I've sinned against thee. I've sinned against you. And, and again, when we hurt God, we, we typically hurt others. And we know that he hurt others. You know, He, he, he destroyed a whole family as a result of this sin of adultery. And he really destroyed his family. In fact, if you read in Second in Samuel 12, you'll see how he lost a, a child as a result of this. And, and that's one thing I, I don't want us to minimize either. When we do sin and when we mess up and fess up, you know, God forgives us of our sins. But oftentimes those consequences of messing up are still there. You know, I'm sure David took to the grave those, those hurts in his heart. Again, he realized forgiveness and that God cleaned his heart but he wasn't uh, excused from his mess-ups. And then there's one more. The, this final thought over temptation that's, that's so vital here is we seek to be overcomers in this, that we just basically humble ourselves before the Lord. And the passage just clearly says that. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And when we humble ourselves, there's a recognition that our worth comes from God and that it comes from Him alone. You know, humility involves us as followers of Christ working with God's power in us to guide us and to help us. And it's not through our own efforts. You know, humility recognizes that we don't deserve God's favor, but we realize that He reaches out to us in love and he gives us worth and he gives us dignity because of who he, who he is. And you know, humility, we know, is the opposite of pride. You know, it's been said that pride is the root of every other sin. And that's, that's true. You know, I have some thoughts here. I'm not sure where this comes from, so I can't give them credit. But it, but it says this concerning pride and humility Pride postpones reconciliation, humility admits mistakes. Pride produces misunderstanding, humility gives insight. Pride produces standoffs, humility produces solutions. Pride provokes arguments, humility brings peace. Pride builds walls of, discur- of disagreement and humility builds bridges to diplomacy. Pride prevents intimacy, humility builds closeness. And then this, pride promotes oneself, Humility promotes others. So how do we respond when we're in those situations where we, where we wanna be tempted to, to get credit or to be right or to, to, to not reconcile, thinking that other person should come to you? Are you prideful or are you humble? Humility, it draws near to God and mourning and crying for deliverance. Humility, it's not a self-sufficient spirit, but a spirit that calls upon the Lord. Humility, it's not seeing a temptation and yielding to it, but it's surrendering to the obedience of Christ, which always takes supernatural power. You know, I love this passage in Second Corinthians where it says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive Every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And then what Paul tells us in Philippians 4 about proper thinking when it comes to this whole idea of humility. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of these things. Think of such things. So, how do we bring all this home? And there's still part of the passage. I think it's important that we consider because in verses 11 and 12, notice what James does. He says, brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who seeks against the brother or speaks against the brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law. So he brings up the law here and he judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy but you who are you to judge your neighbor." So as James brings this section of of the passage to a close, he summarizes it. And and he summarizes it this way. First of all, he says, be careful how you talk to each other. In other words, don't slander each other. And that takes humility. And and what he speaks about is he he brings up the law. And of course, when we think of the law, we think of, of what Jesus says about the law. And and he says how the the greatest commandment is this, that we love God, and that we love people. And as we bring this application into place here, it makes me think of of that lesson in Luke ten with uh, the the good Samaritan. And we think of how he was, uh, Jesus was confronted by a lawyer, and the lawyer says to him, well, will, will me, tell me really how you can in, uh, inherit eternal life. And, and the lawyer uh, quotes him this passage, this idea of you what you love, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and then you love your neighbor. So uh, this comment's made by the lawyer. And then Jesus just goes right along with this whole idea of who our neighbors are. And he gives us this parable. He gives us this parable about the Good Samaritan. And, and as we think of this passage here in Luke 10, you can turn there. I've got a few verses that are going to come up on the screen for us here. But he says, how we're to love our neighbor. And, and, and I think it's important that we realize that we open our eyes to needs that are around us. People who have needs around us. Listen what the Good Samaritan did. It says here, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. You know, he wasn't so into the walk that he didn't stop and see what was taking place around us. I think it's easy sometimes to get so busy, so caught up in our own self. And even as we're in this pandemic here, you know, we, we think of ourselves, but there's still people in our circles that need love. They need prayer. They need, they need our, our encouragement. They need our touches. So have your eyes open to those needs. And and then go further, because not only did the Samaritan see the need, but he takes pity on him, the passage says. So he he sees the need, and then his heart has compassion. You know, it's not just lip service. He, He responds with compassion. He couldn't let himself pass by. And then also see, when we think of all this, when we're putting the law into action, we open our arms, and we give practical help. I love this. He says, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know, that's love for one another. That's, that's getting along for, with him. That, that, and again, this wasn't really part of the culture, this idea uh, of the Samaritan dealing with his person. But, but, he, but he gets in there and he, he, he's serving. He, he's putting on these one another's we read about in the scriptures. He, he's washing feet is what he's doing. He, he's practical in his help. And again, what a neat formula as we do life, as we think of people who are out there who have needs. And, and then he closes with this thought, open our minds to follow up open our minds to follow up because the next day he takes out two coins, two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he says, just, look after him. And when I'll return, I'll reimburse you any extra if you overspend what I give you. So again, there's, there's follow up. There's, there's, there's follow through with it. He goes the extra mile. So God's power, with that power, we can overcome temptation when we submit to him. We can over temptation when we resist the devil, when we repent of our sins, when there's a humility under his mighty hand. We can overcome when we are under God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the power of your word and the hope that comes from it. Thank you for these lessons, Lord, and these practical insights you give us from the book of James and Lord this is uh, very powerful it's a great formula for all of us Lord as there's temptations out there to 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 be like the world but I pray Lord that we hold on to that promise that you've overcome the world so Lord as we uh, seek to apply these principles in James to our life may we be more like you may you bless us as a church Help us realize, Lord, that we're to be a lighthouse to this community. Help us practice these steps of the Good Samaritan, Lord. They are so practical for all of us. Help us not be so self-centered that we don't see what's going on around us. Give us a compassion to those needs and go the extra mile. In Jesus' name, amen.